2: Hello
1: and welcome to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always, my good friend, Jim Stam. How you doing, brother?
2: Good, man. A little Friday action on this Pirates Fan Forum. We're switching it up this week because we have a very special guest, so...
1: Absolutely, and before we get off to him, let me just say Happy Veterans Day to everybody out there. I would start naming all the vets who've been on this show, but I would inevitably miss somebody and tick you off. So I'm not going to do that. So if you served and you've been on the show, thank you. We appreciate you.
2: And Eric, and Eric is one of them. So That's
0: right, thank you. There you go. Welcome. It's my pleasure. My,
1: my favorite one's my dad, but I, I, I'm partial. So. <laughs> Um, let's introduce our guest today, though. We have uh, pitching on the mind, Jim. I think it's fair to say we have been pitching obsessed on this show for a minute. And we really want to understand more about how pitching is developed, protected, improved. And so to help, we're happy to welcome to the show Eric Minshaw. He's a former Pirates minor league pitching coach and currently from the Ohio Baseball Science Academy, Eric, say hello. It's been too long, my friend.
0: It's been a couple of years, but thanks for having me back on. I'm, I'm really honored. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure.
1: Oh, it's going to be awesome to have you. I, th- I think people are going to learn from this whether they wanted to or not. That's, that's the best way to learn, Jim, is when you just shanghai people into doing it.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, but- and then you just relentlessly pound them with questions. So, right. Like you make
1: it out like it's going to be fun and then you just <laughs> teach them for an hour. It's going to be awesome. We'll, we'll see what we wait. can do.
0: <laughs> we can see what we can do. So,
1: Eric, let's, let's start by basically qualifying you a little bit. And, and in okay. that, tell us a little bit about the Ohio Baseball Science Academy, why it and places like it exist.
0: Well, there's a need. I mean, there's a lot of technology out there now and. Um, You know, several years ago, I started an academy uh, doing a lot of lessons, just, you know, almost traditionally. uh, That's kind of what you see a lot of out there still today. Uh, And I really made a a shift in focus while I was a college pitching coach and a lot of newer technology was coming out. You know, Rep Soto was new. Uh, We were starting to um, really start to dive into more data that we we were hearing about and and things like that. So we just kind of wanted to go that route. And um, I really transitioned to the Ohio Baseball Science Camp. We re- rebranded ourselves because it became prevalent. There was a majority of colleges started using technology, some high schools. But really, um, the, the pro teams were really diving uh, headfirst into uh, technology. And, uh, you know, kind of looking back, even though that was only, let's say, six, seven years ago in its infancy and how much it's boomed now, uh, I'm really glad we made that, that move. Uh, because we use it, we use it every day in some form or fashion um, in in development, whether it be skill acquisition, pitch design, human performance. Uh, it's been it's been quite uh, a ride so far. and it and I don't know if we're gonna see uh, what the what the end is that is gonna look like because it's it's really taken some awesome turns here in the last two years.
1: it's It's great to hear about it. and I'm excited to pick your brand. We're going to do that in the live chat here while we're on. Please pop any questions you have for Eric in there. He's not shy. And he's not afraid to answer or at least try to answer anything. Or if you have some conspiracy theory you want him to debunk, please <laughs> bring it to the table. We'll talk about it. I've got a list of questions. Jim's got a list of questions. We've already got some from our listeners. Let's okay. get started. Eric, yeah. why is it okay for players to go outside of their team looking for help? To a well, place been, like you,
0: <clears throat> it's been done forever. Um, when you think about it, it's just now social media. It shows up. Uh, there's, I, I can't tell you how many guys that I know, um, guys that I grew up with. You know, I went. It was very fortunate uh, to go to Archbishop Muller High School, where you know Barry Larkin's from, King Griffey Junior.'s from. Uh, you know, the Bell family. I mean, goes on and on and on. I mean, there's been like five or six guys in the big leagues the last few years. Up uh, Brent, uh, Brent Suter. Muller High School guy, a lot of those guys, uh, you know, going back had their hitting guy at home. And a lot of times it was your dad, but they had a guy. And it was just never really publicized until really, you know, now that you've got Twitter and Instagram and things like that. And, oh, so-and-so went to go see his hitting guru, or his pitching guru. And what's wrong? Well, nothing's wrong. I mean, it's... It's been done since probably the, the beginning of time. I mean, somebody taught Ted Williams how to hit, right? I mean, it wasn't probably self-taught. And somebody helped him along the way, and that might have been his guy for all we know. Um, I, I just assumed with him it was God. But, I mean, you know. <laughs> probably, yeah. His, the, the initials were probably G.O.D., yeah. Yeah. <laughs> might not have been my best example, but you know what I'm saying? Somebody taught you and that's, right. that's the guy that you have connection and confidence with. Is, is A lot of times you go back to that just for that pat on the back and that reassurance. It's not always, oh, he found something wrong with my swing that this other guy didn't. But, you know, as coaches, we're servants too. We have to remember that it's not about us. It's all about the player. So you really do need to embrace as best that you can that... Um, you don't know everything. And, you know, the difference, let's just say I was coaching Paul Skeens and the difference be- between him getting to the big leagues and what I'm doing is taking myself out of the equation and letting him talk to his guy, then he has to be the winner in that, not me. Right. But it does what, happen a lot. What, I mean, we, we experience it now at our own, uh, our own academy. I mean, we work with an inordinate amount of uh, major league and minor league players now. I can tell you that, About two thirds, uh, not a problem. We work with their uh, coordinators. We work with their, we talk to, I mean, a lot of people. We talk to coaches, AGMs. We talk to a lot of people that are involved and uh, get a copy of their player development plan, discuss uh, ad nauseum, you know, here's what we want to do, here's how we're going to fix something. Sorry, I had to unplug something there. Um, (laughs) But, Other teams, it's a problem still. And we, uh, we actually have agreements with four large sports agencies and we work with their players. Um, and we've signed some agreements with some players that will never post any of, uh, anything we do with them on social media. Um, God bless the places that do. Um, and maybe they have agreements too where they can't post everybody. But we uh there's certain people that we can't we can't post ever. And we let the other people in the academy know that, you know, you can you can talk to the guys, you can whatever, but you can't take a picture with them. You can't show what they're doing here because their organization it, it, want, it has to have a stranglehold on the player. And and that's a shame. You know, but it, it, listen, it's not that many. It's not do it's teams, not like it's you do know teams have. just do teams want to?
2: Do teams need to know? Is it a courtesy of the player to tell them, or do they say, "No, you need to tell us if you're going," uh, you know, outside the organization? Um, are they concerned that players might get, you know, linked up with someone that they don't want teaching them, you know, or assisting them? That's
0: a great point. Um, I've, from my experience. I have quite a few guys. Um, I'll I'll speak. I know I can speak very positively about the Blue Jays, so I'll I'll throw that out there. I've worked with several Blue Jays players. I know their director of player development and their pitching coordinator very well. Uh, Got to know them even better last year. Um, And we have quite a few of their guys at our place. Seamless operation. Seamless. Um, From when we're starting throwing programs, what we're working on, what we're doing in the weight room, what we want them to do when they ramp up, when they're throwing off the mound, what did you know to the point? What do we want their pitches to look like? What what matters to the Blue Jays? Uh, a blueprint, so to speak, and we follow that and check in regularly. Um, and it's a, always an open, great conversation. There's there's never there's really never been a lot of disagreement. Um, if you're really good in this business, there shouldn't be. Honestly, you should be able to to come to a pretty close, quick agreement on a plan. Um, But again, then there's there's other teams that um, it hasn't happened to me that I know of. But I have talked with a lot of coordinators where they're like, I'm glad he's coming to you and not. And and or." He was working with this guy, you know, before, and he was telling him some things that you know were like, "Oh boy, I hate to hear that." That that well, you know that could potentially cause an injury. So,
2: and and that's the thing, like, because you know, if you follow this stuff, y- there's a lot of stuff out there, and some of it's a little bit crazy or a mm-hmm. little bit, you know, um, you could use the word junk science, and or just guys trying to reinvent the wheel. And I would think, at least from a team standpoint you would want to make sure that they are finding the right people. And so that that's where that question came from.
0: You know, yeah. And, and in our business, um, so I, I've actually, I get called a lot about, do you know this guy? Do you know anything about this dude? You know, we're thinking about interviewing a guy, blah, blah, blah. And <clears throat> I get a lot of those calls. And um, I it's easy for me, honestly, to work through a conversation and find out if somebody just knows the lingo. Which there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of guys that are certified that just know enough to get through a test, but they don't know how to apply it. They cannot teach. Yeah. Um, and the players figure it out. I get a lot of really crazy feedback from a lot of our professional guys and, and some of our college guys. we like, this guy talks and he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> but when I really start digging in with him he's at a limit or he lies or makes up something which is worse so you see
1: folks what eric has just done is exposed that mlb has a blogger culture going on underneath the surface too so
0: (laughs) it happens man
1: we have to take a quick break here when we come right back we're going to pick up talking about more of this stuff i'm loving it so far Riveted. All right, we're back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. Give us a like. Make sure you follow Eric on Twitter or X or whatever youngins are calling it nowadays at eminch. On, you, on that good old space there. He's on Facebook too. I don't know if he's like me and doesn't really want anybody following him there.
2: But <laughs> Oh, and just just as a word of warning, just from what I've kind of seen, you know, if if you're a Steeler fan, you might have to put up with some Bengals <laughs> posts in there. I'm just warning you. It's cool. I think Joe I think Joe Burroughs man, he's special. And I'm really actually I am happy for it. We're we have,
1: lucky
0: to have that guy. He, uh,
1: we haven't had a, a real, 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 real yeah. stud QB since what, Asayson?
0: Oh really? yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Asiason was he was the man. I mean, you got but you know Carson Palmer is pretty yeah, good. He was. Hey, he was. Yeah. He was until a certain fat yeah. guy rolled up you know, on until him and some Hoffman guy <laughs> rolled in, <like laughs> destroyed our playoff chances, but. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do, I guess.
1: <laughs> All right, so, Eric, we have to touch on something that's touchy. But it's part of your mission is to kind of help guys stay healthy, right? By, yeah. by improving their mechanics and Paramount. identifying what they're doing wrong or right. Yep. Um, You know, the recent study came out that I guess like 35% of people, of pitchers in Major League Baseball had gone through or were currently recovering from ucl tommy john surgery Mm -hmm. at some point in their in their lifetime yeah is it just inevitable or are there precursors preconditions that you can notice
0: yeah so it took me uh 15 years for sure i think it's 18 years but it took me that long and, uh, and several thousand pitchers that have worked with in that time to actually have a guy have to have Tommy John that we're actually working with. Huh. And we had a suspicion that that was going to happen. And we sat down with the family and said, there's a risk here and we're trying to overcome some issues with pattern work and strength. Um, <clears throat> and he, and he ended up having a partial tear and it just, and it made me sick uh that to think that one of the guys we were working with actually was but you know if you do it long enough you're going to have a guy Um, should it be that number um my personal take on that is that I, i would say the vast majority of those are preventable and the more that we dig into this the more studies that we do the more we realize and again the studies are coming out that um these injuries are, are coming during spring training really so that means your ramp up was poor so your ability to uh train yourself in the off season and build up your arm and not only build up your arm people talk about strength it's but it's also building up your capacity but it's also building up your resistance your your body's ability to accept that force and recover that's not being done at a, at a at a great scale it's been that's
1: it's insane with the investment that pitching is. I mean, Jim, what were you going
2: to say? Uh, no, like as as he's talking, I'm I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, when when do these injuries occur, and how come I've never paid attention to that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and is that being charted across levels? You know, with guys, and you know, is it early in the season? Is it in spring training? Is it just out when? And so like. Um, yeah, I just, I can see where
0: that is something that's really noteworthy. It, it's <clears throat> the, a lot of people like to blame the organizations and, and I got to be honest with you as I've looked through throwing programs, as I've talked to more and more organizations, it still comes down to the player doing what's required. You would be surprised that the number of professional minor league players Um, the big leaguers are a little bit better about this because there's so much more at risk, but the the number of minor league guys that are not able or willing to follow their program. Now, some are, don't get me wrong. Obviously, even with 35%, it still means 65% are are absolutely killing it. And it doesn't mean the 35% are not doing what they're asked. Because uh, there are other factors, you might just have thin ligaments. You might have, you know, I mean, there's right. This, Genetic, genetics, right? Yeah, there might be a problem that's uh, unaware. I've, I've years and years ago, I met a kid that had Tommy John. That there was nothing wrong with the ligament; it was pulling apart his bone. The only way to fix it was to do Tommy John surgery. So, um, you know, those but those are special cases. I mean, that's right. that's an X amount of percent of that thirty five percent. So, but what we do find. On a regular basis is that it's preventable and it's not it, it's it's a pie of things for and it's the pie is different for every guy sometimes it's his genetics sometimes there's physiology issues sometimes there's preparation issues sometimes there are mechanical issues but the same things always keep keep seeming to pop up and you gotta remember these minor league guys are working their butt off in the off season, trying to make a buck, trying to pay off all those bills from the summer. I mean, because it wasn't just until recently that they were being paid better, right? Go ahead. Go ahead. So then, then they go train. They're exhausted while they're training. I mean, I've, I've, I watch all this in front of me. I see it all the time. So they're they're tired. They don't sleep well. They don't eat right. I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to do all of those things and prepare for spring training and then compete in spring training so you don't get cut in spring training.
1: So So what do you what do you attribute your success to there with with not having those injuries crop up with people you're working with? I'd have to imagine if you had a system developed that you could patent that you'd be a able- <laughs> You'd you'd be calling us from like a gold limousine instead of
0: (laughs) your house. I wish that were true, but I got to be honest with you. You know, I I have invented a few things in the pitching realm, I should say. I mean, whatever. But, you know, Ron Wolforth always tells me we didn't invent pitching, Eric. You know, and I I agree. We didn't. But we've all made it better. So, you know, from a culmination of paying attention to what Eric Cressy does, what uh, Randy Sullivan does, what um, Ron Wolfer's doing down at the ranch, what Driveline is doing, Kyle Bodie's crew. And, uh, you know, I'm leaving guys out, P3 St. Louis and PRP in Indianapolis, what we're doing, uh, Tread Athletics. Be- between all of us having a real big grab of a majority of guys, Yeah. Um, you know, Don Cooper, that used to be a pitching coach for the White Sox, told me a long time ago that our bullpen is the best laboratory in the world. But by us being able to grab literally between those places I just named, there's there's several thousand players, okay, at high school, college, and pro levels. We're able to see what works and what doesn't. And we're able to formulate over years going now, it's not necessarily it's you follow one, two, three, four, five, six for everybody, because sure. everybody is different. And I we always say your routine better not look. So you better, whatever routine you have on game one. Better not look like that at game one sixty two because you need to listen to your body. But we are getting so much more into the body, how it moves, and we're able to track those things. We're able to use scans. We're able to use software that tracks how you move. So we have a we use pulses now that track throws, so we know what kind of stress is being put at your on your arm on a daily basis that we can track, and then we can also track your sleep. We can also track your nutrition. We can also track your days off. So now the gap is closing onto where if you have a Tommy John, it needs to be a damn surprise. We we literally um, we work with a kid who actually just got hurt. It's not a pitching injury. He chunked a golf club and snapped his UCL. Oh yeah, not a pitching injury. We you know we had we were getting ready to see him this fall. We haven't seen him since the spring, and he called me. and said, "I'm not coming in." And I'm like, "Why? What happened?" He, he was messing around and golf and chunked a club and snapped his UCL. So you 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 know again those things need to fall into that little one percent bucket over here. But at our facility, and to answer your question is we track everything. We do a functional movement screen. We know what's tight on a player. We know what's too loose. We know what's not too strong. We know we know all of those things. I mean, none, none of our guys are. I mean, it's kind of funny. You walk in our place, our mounds aren't even being used because it's not that time of year. Our guys really aren't throwing. They're they're in our performance center, getting bigger, stronger, more flexible, more mobile, um, all those things to go into pitching. Um, and it's Jim, crazy. I can, Jim, I
1: can almost see you screaming inside your head like, "Why aren't major league teams doing this same kind of research?" Well, then
0: or right? I would yeah. say they're not um I, I, I can tell you when I was with the pirates we did about 80 percent of that huh. uh we had a we had a great i'm sorry we had a great performance center we had great staff now what what when i was there and it's not this way now but just remember that we weren't allowed to talk to other departments okay so <laughs> if i asked for a functional movement screen on uh Colin Selby <laughs> that wasn't gonna happen but I, I had to rely on my years of experience and I could tell how he was moving. I could do some certain things with him and I knew what he needed to do. And he was a great story. I mean, he was a, I believe he was a Division three uh, draft pick. Um, I had him extended. He was doing okay. We got him in the performance center, myself and our assistant pitching coordinator at the time. And we we really, really poured into that kid. And uh, he went to Greensboro. And here's a kid that was, upper 80s, 90, low maybe low 90s. I don't think he was throwing very hard. Next thing you know, he's throwing 94, 96 with better stuff because wow. of the performance center. And, and and that was a pirate thing. And that was something they allowed us to use. Even even though we weren't all allowed to talk to each other, those things were still being done. They had to weigh in every day. They had to count their calories. They were given certain food. They were making sure they got sleep. You know, our, our workout routines were laid out such that it was important based on what the strength team did with them—that they had to help them get better—it was. It, we really took it upon ourselves to kind of help envelope all that.
2: Crazy, Jim. Your turn, buddy. I yeah, yeah Well, there's you know I've got ten things I want to ask, but <laughs> what I I'll I'll ask something for just the fan out there that yeah. that, that is going to say, okay, we've got all this information, and we are doing all these things, and. You see this on um, social media all the time. Someone saying, well, 50 years ago, guys had, you know, didn't get paid and had to work jobs in the off season, And they weren't doing any of this. And they didn't have all the arm problems that seem to be happening today. And so... Um, you know when i look at that i say well you know there's a lot that goes into that but how how do you respond to that or what do you think it is is it just velocity has gotten so sure. so pushed at this point that it's hard for the arms to keep up what 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 yeah. do you think
0: yeah so the newton meters of stress that are put on the elbow for example when you're throwing you got to remember there were not a lot of guys throwing 90 Punk. Pumpkin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't. I, I remember asking, um, I'm really close to several members of the big red machine and I don't want to name them cause I don't want them getting mad, but I asked them, <laughs> I said, you know, listen, when you were playing against so-and-so and so-and-so, how many of these guys were like, like bringing it? And they said there were very few goose gossages mm-hmm. and they said, well, what's funny is they said, we had those guys, you know, mm-hmm. Don Gullett and this guy and this guy, they said, Jim Maloney, we had those guys. We had those guys that were throwing 95 miles an hour. He said a lot of the guy. he goes, everything back then was slider, curveball, cutter, you know, movement, two seam, changing speeds, knowing how to pitch, knowing how to throw strikes. And if you look, watch those old games, there's nobody, you know, Goose Gossage was the guy. Yeah. He was the dude that was the ultimate flamethrower. And there was a few others. But if you if you talk to those guys, they'll tell you there was only one or two pitchers on the staff on a, on a regular basis that threw hard. And if you look at the newton meters of stress that, okay, so we know this for a fact that um, a roll Chapman at 103 miles an hour has 96 to 98 newton meters of stress on the elbow. So at 80, 82 miles an hour, you may see 49 to 50 newton meters of stress on the elbow. So what that equates to is 98 newton meters of stress is the equivalent of taking a 45 pound weight and throwing it overhand as hard as you possibly can versus maybe a 20 pound weight. So oh. think about, I mean, and listen, guys still got hurt back then. Um, they just shut up about it or they put some liniment oil it, or, or drank beer. I mean, literally, or dumped their elbow in ice and they just shut up and they were hurt. They were still pitching and playing. Um, and a lot of guys just, well, I had a bum elbow when I retired or I had a bum shoulder and I retired because they had rotator cuff surgery and they were gone.
2: I did think of that. I thought about, you know, back then it just, mm-hmm. it was, it was dealt with differently or you were just done playing or, you know, so it, it, today we, we know about it every time it happens every, right. and we, and we chart it and we know. So the, there is a, I think a misconception back then that,
0: it wasn't happening. It, it was. We're highlighting extent. it now. Before it was happening, we just didn't know how important it was. Right. In the mid 80s, there was a real big run on rotator cuff mm-hmm. surgeries and I looked that up sometime. And um, as guys, they were blaming it on working out. And it's not necessarily blaming it on working out because guys were starting to get figured out and get bigger and stronger. It was recovery. Recovery is the most key essential piece to this and how you're recovering and what you're doing to recover and active recovery, passive recovery. There's You can only, you can only throw as hard as you can slow your arm down to begin with. So when you start getting a body like a oldest Chapman's, that's massive and he can slow that arm down. Right. Um, he still has to recover. He's still a human being. He still has to eat right. Still has to sleep right. Still has to track all these things. Um, so that he can continue to look that way. That's not an accident. Um, so when i when i look at what's going on in training and i look on you know what's going on with these injuries i don't know that it's more uh, there's certainly more of them now but i don't know that it's a wider epidemic it's just we did, we know more about it now but but definitely i will say this that what we're asking of the body to do at such a higher stress level you know again bringing out that twice the amount of new meters of uh, stress on the arm and the elbow um, you're you're going to see that and equate that to an engine right i mean if you're gonna race a car and you're gonna hit that gas you know a lot harder you're gonna you know there's a lot of things in that engine that have a have a uh, more proclivity to break it's just yeah. it's just how oh, it's gonna it's just gonna happen that way
1: well let's get a listener question in here we got pirates queen banshee she says with all the changes on the mound, what advice or method has withstood the test of time? Like, you've been doing this a long time. What what were you preaching back then that you're still preaching today?
0: Throwing program is still incredibly important. And uh, and when I mean throwing program. Yeah, tell people that, what
2: you mean by that. Because- yeah.
0: Fans don't get to see throwing program. That's the, that's the part. They get to see batting practice. But throwing program before a game is pitcher's batting practice, essentially. That's yeah. the time when guys get to go out, they line up, and everybody thinks they're just tossing. And that's what it looks like. <laughs> but that, that's not really what's going on. Um, guys actually have a routine, and this is their opportunity to throw. They throw to a certain distance. They throw a certain way. They're working on grips. They're working on a, a myriad of things in throwing program. And that's really what keeps you strong. That's really what keeps you going. Um, that's really what helps develop that extra pitch. Uh, cause we do a lot of touch and feel or bullpen sessions, et cetera. But, um, throwing program, you know, really is the pitcher's version of having batting practice for what their skill is. And throwing program has really evolved past just tossing. We used to toss to warm up. Now we warm up to toss. And then we actually have catch play and throwing program. And that's where guys really get better um, to the point where I, like personally still as a pitching coach working with the staff, you know, our, our throwing program is really concise and it's really important like to the point. So if we've got guys that are trying to work on uh, a slider, for example, I pair them up with the guy that has the best slider because not only did they get to she- see shape and movement, but they get to converse with that guy. How did that look? How's that feel coming out of your hand? You know, of course, I'm there, but, you know, feedback from another player is the best teaching that there is to, is known. I mean, Roy Halliday, where did he get his cutter from? Mario yeah. Ravana at the, at the Marina yeah. Rivera at the All Star game, right? So there, you know, we want to make sure that throwing program is their arena to where they can learn to succeed, fail, practice, laboratory, all those things in that day and and still preparing themselves for for a game or recovering. Again, there's a lot of throwing involved in recovering, believe it or not. Um, so preparing for your start or preparing to, you know, you pitched. You pitched an inning in a game yesterday. You're going to have a light catch play today in preparation for tomorrow. And there's so much that goes into it. And it's sight unseen to just to the average fan because they don't get to see that.
1: So you're saying it's a bigger deal when somebody can't go that third day in a row out of the bullpen than uh, just – the manager being a sissy, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here, let's get another question in here from Dave White. He says, will the pitch clock cause more injuries in the future because the pitchers have to pitch at a quicker pace?
0: Again, recovery. So if you see this year, there was a lot of guys at the beginning of the year that were panting in between pitches because of the pace. Unable to kind of – Take that breath and relax for a second, and then go. You're seeing a lot, of guys. A lot more guys sweating and panting at the beginning of the year. And That was an adjustment. I saw it. I saw it this year. I was a special assistant GM um, for Joliet. and um, that's one of the things that we didn't know was going to happen. A much quicker pace for a guy that doesn't, you know, does a pitch like that. And most guys didn't. Um, right. like, Man, I'm I'm really tired. Like they they come in the dugout. You know, and you've got a, you know, they may have had a 15-pitch inning, which is is pretty average. I mean, that's nothing. And they're, geez, you know, Mitch, I didn't, man, this pitch clock's kicking my butt. I'm like, <laughs> got a lot more running work to do, do we? You know, so uh, that's something that we learned. Um, so will that lead to injury? Um, it, it can in the respect of recovery. It can. Um, I, I don't, I think the jury's going to be out for a while. We only saw a season of it. But, um, you know, I, I think I think it will push the needle a little closer to injury until we learn how to deal with it and push it back the other way.
1: I mean, it's fair to say, too. They've been, they've okay. been running with it for a little while in the minors. So some of the guys, as they start to work their way up, they'll have more experience with that already. Right.
0: Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And And that was part of the discussion. Uh, you know, even this year was you know how are you kind of the the starters um, had a much different, more difficult time than the relievers did, but um, yeah it's still a factor, yeah.
1: Jim, we have to take one more break. When we come nope. back, I'm, giving nope, I'm you still talking. I'm giving you the steering wheel. Let's ask him the next question from you. All right. And we are back to the Pirates fan forum here on DK Pittsburgh sports podcast network, Gary, Jim, and our special guest, Eric with us. And, uh, Adam Yarkovsky just chimed in to say, this stuff is crazy. Interesting. Love it. So Eric, thank you again for coming on. This is all perspective. We never get to hear. It's awesome. No,
2: like take the floor, brother. Dude, I just yeah, I, I I'm right with yark on that one. Like I wanted to come into this like a little bit of an open book and not have some of my you know, we all have preconceived notions about how things are done or why they're True. done or whatever. And so I guess the thing that I was thinking about is is because there's been such a information um overload sometimes <laughs> and you deal with you're dealing with young guys that maybe haven't had to deal with all that. And so how do you, how do you take those guys at that age? So let's say they're out of just out of high school or in high school, even maybe at this point and you, cause you don't want them overthinking. They still have to be able to just go out and naturally pitch. Sure. <laughs> how do you, how do you find a balance with all that? Because you know, that there to me, it doesn't seem to go well together. How do, how do you make sure you're not
0: doing that to guys? But that's an excellent question. And this, this let me give you this answer. And, and I have to give credit to um, a friend of mine, uh, Connor Walsh, that pitched in the White Sox organization. He explained this to me two years ago. And it has helped my development as a coach. And it has helped now hundreds of kids, literally. There's logical pitchers and cerebral pitchers. Hmm, cerebral okay. pitchers get themselves in trouble. Let me give you an example. Cerebral pitcher is on the mound goes to 2-0, starts worrying about ball four already. Oh, my God, what's wrong? Is my arm in the right place? Am I doing this? Is my spin there? Oh, you know, And next thing you know, it's ball four. Then it's ball eight. Then it's ball 12. Now bases are loaded. Now I'm coming out. Right. We got a problem. OK, logical pitcher doesn't think that way at all. Logical pitcher 2-0 because I got this guy right where I want him. 2 and oh, he's swinging. I'm going to throw this sinker right where I want it to. This guy's grounding out right now. Boom. And that's what happens because of the mentality. Um, so we are really honing in on the mentality and the mental skills department to help these guys realize that during the game, you, you can't fix your mechanics mid-pitch. You can't. There's just so many things that you should not be worrying about. You should really be flipping the script and becoming more logical you walk a guy you know what guess what i don't want that guy anyway i want this guy i'm going to embarrass him i'm going to get weak contact and ground into a double play that's actually more fun and then that's what happens and it it was crazy as one of the guys that uh, i think he may have just retired with the pirates was bear bellamy bear bellamy was one of the best i ever had at it He, he was he refused to lose in his mind you got a hit you were lucky you're lucky you got that because I made a great pitch. Uh, you scored a run, you, and the same thing. You're lucky because the next guy's getting his bat broken out of his hands. Um, versus the cerebral guy starts worrying, and I got to put this pitch perfect, and, and you can't do that. I mean, you okay. can't. I mean, it's so, so no, hard. It, it, it,
2: there's there's a little bit of like you throw an interception, you have to forget about it right. immediately. It doesn't immediately it has no bearing on anything else
0: that's going to that happen. That play didn't work.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, yeah.
1: I've heard some pitchers, veteran pitchers like uh, Bob Walk, is he, he likes to talk about this a lot. Um, John Smoltz likes to talk about it a lot. They always had a pitch they called like their focus pitch that was mm-hmm. the one that that could fix everything else. Right. So, do you find that to be the the way most pitchers develop? Yep. They end up having one that's kind of like their set yep. point.
0: There, there's a um, and there's a, there's numerous names for that. Um, you know, your go-to pitch, um, your re- we call it a reset pitch. Some guys, it's believe it or not, so there's guys, there's a lot of guys I have their reset pitch is a changeup. And if you think about that, that makes sense because you have to stay through and on the ball longer. So let's say you're flying open a little bit and you're missing arm side and you're nearly hitting guys. If you have to stay on that changeup and bring it through and pronate and stay on it longer, it may reset you. It may help your brain remember, you know what, I got to stay all the way through this. I won't fly open. Um, so yeah, we you know, we call it a reset pitch at our place because a lot of our guys do, but go to is fine. I don't care. They could call it a chicken egg for all I care. As long as it takes you <laughs> oh, from three yeah. to three yeah. to gives you well, a fighting well. chance, you call whatever you want. You can say, This is my little pony. I don't care. It, it's gotta work for you. And if you go to, it, if you think about what I just said, that go-to pitch is a pitch that you believe in. And if you can believe that you're going to throw a strike, chances are you will.
1: I got to ask you a question that I think is going to be really hard for you. Okay. Okay. You have a a perfectly moldable lump of clay. Yeah. This student will listen to everything you say. Anything you tell him to ingest, he's going to ingest. Mm -hmm. 12 boiled carrots for breakfast tomorrow? Yes, sir. Okay. Everything that you want. What's his pitch mix? What's the perfect pitch mix to give a pitcher? What would you do?
0: Four-seam fastball that has a, a ton of uh, induced vertical break, followed by a true 12-6 to hammer, like very much like Kershaw, that right. separator. So it needs to look like a fastball through 50-ish feet and then breaks straight down. Um, and a really solid change up. Um, And if you can get away with getting a little cutter in there as well. um, And I wouldn't do that with a real young guy because the amount of stress that's being put on your elbow to throw a cutter guys shouldn't throw cutters too. And I hope somebody hears this, do not throw a cutter if you're a teenager or a 12 year old or whatever, the stress is so high. It's, it's unbelievable. Stay away from it. You don't need it. Um, But if you can like Kershaw developed a little bit of that later where it was cutting into guys. So uh, that way you've got a pitch that does this. You got one that does this. You got one that goes this way and you got one that goes this way. And Joe Musgrove, who awesome. I had a great fortune to work with, worked that way. Um, so yeah, if you, if you can throw this and blow up by them and then throw a curve all this, sorry, off the no, screen and it goes like this. You're going to a lot of swing and miss, man. You're going to get a lot of swing and
1: <laughs> miss. How do, you, how do you fight the urge to try to teach everybody that then?
0: <laughs> um, you know, it, not everybody's able to throw those things because of their slot. Not everybody can throw, you know, not everybody can throw a curveball based on their slot. That's why a lot of guys go to a, a cutter or, or, you know, a slider of some sort, which is really very close to being the same thing anyway. Um, because they, they can't debate, depending on where their arm angles, depending on where your release is I don't know if you guys can see this or not. Yeah, what's the Am thing? I going the wrong way? I don't think I have enough room here, but if you're, if your arm is, you know, as this is your slot, you know, you're coming through, you know, more 12 o'clock, you can get underneath that ball and let it fly. But if you're way over here, it's really hard for you to get underneath and through that ball and get that like backwards spin. Um, so you may have to adjust your pitch mix based on your arm slot and, and then you get into tunneling and you get into a lot of things there. So it's pretty important.
2: Let me, let me ask you this, do in the business you're in, do you guys only focus on, do you worry about what the hitter's doing at all? Because you know the hitter has all a ton of information too. I was watching something yesterday, and uh, it was it was Jose Canseco, mm-hmm. and you know I think people think he's a big dumb animal, and he was talking about. Um, all the information that you use as a hitter and knowing what guys want to throw on certain counts and two, two, I'm looking for this 76% of the time and relying on that information. Do you guys look at it as we have, we just have to worry about what we're doing on the pitching side and executing, or do you have to take that into account
0: too? Hitting is so hard. Number one, and guys are getting nastier and you're in your, reaction time is getting shorter because of the, of the velo, right? So the more we can locate, change speeds and, and, and I call it the fill factor, but add a lot of movement. Um, You can know what's coming a lot and still fail, but uh, to your point, yeah, the, the hitters, the pitching was way ahead of the hitters in, and data and all this stuff for quite some time. But even when I was with the pirates, we used uh, a lot of advanced scouting, even in we, we were the only short season teams uh, that did that. Um, and it helped us make the playoffs that year because we are, you know, we, we dove into that. I knew what the other teams were doing. What can, if, if there was guys that just never swung first pitch. So we knew we could groove a 92 mile an hour fastball, but he was, he was not going to swing at it. And then there's guys that bait you. That take first pitch until somebody's on base. They get somebody a runner to scoring position. Yeah. They set you up and you groove a fastball. Guess what? Run to score. So you have to know that. Um, so hitting is still hard. I always believe that really good pitching defeats, uh, you know, good, even good hitting. There's some guys, listen, man, there's some guys, they get so hot. It doesn't matter. You could throw the world's best pitch. You could throw it off the top of the plate, and they'll they'll freaking four iron it over the wall. There, there's, there's guys that you know, there's, there's nothing you can do about it. But that hopefully will only be one guy in the lineup. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it starting to even out. I still think pitching has the advantage. Um, I always say this: pitchers have five pitcher pitches, and hitters only have one swing. So. Uh, but there are things we look at. How close is he standing to the plate? Is he making adjustments in the box on when he's expecting a breaking ball? And it, you really need your co-quarterback, which is your catcher to pay attention. Uh, if you've got a really good game caller and, and a guy back there that can observe what's going on and he's, he's working in sync with your, uh, you know, with your pitcher, you should have an advantage to keep that to a minimum. And, you know, even watching the playoffs this year. People are like, oh my God, I can't believe Ray's just a clobber. Well, it's because everybody has so much information. And sometimes when you have better information uh, and you can execute better, you can beat, you know, Goliath, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah let's get another
1: happened. let's get another listener question in here. We got one from Graves. Uh Rob Manfred recently suggested MLB go with 12 pitcher maximum as early as 2025. I, I don't know how far they'll push that but that is something he suggested recently um, you f- you guys focus on strengthening the core and improving movement longevity all that stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. analytics frowns on facing a lineup three times do you see them changing to four man rotations with more bullpen arms in the future regardless of this role change
0: boy that would be that would be something just because again even hundred pitches of stress in a four-man four-man rotation—that's you know there's a lot more stress on the arm, and you really need that recovery. I, I remember Trevor Bauer talking about he really wanted to go into a four-man rotation, but not everybody's built like Trevor. I mean, these are still human beings. Right. Not everybody recovers the same. So that alone um, would be would be interesting. Um, you know, I was a big fan of that when I was a kid. I loved the four-man rotation. Um, you know, with the days off, maybe you could. Um, maybe you have an all staff day mixed in there. Um, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I don't exactly know how to answer that because I'm I a fan of the game too. I love seeing things that are different, so I, I'm not sure how that would work out. But, um, and this is all the stuff that just it it, it impacts everybody, right?
2: Because mm-hmm. it's like working somewhere and you know your job, you know what to do. But they keep changing things. And so you've got to react, learn, you know, um, improvise on the fly, learn to um, be quick with taking in information. And so as baseball does all these things, and man, are we seeing changes in the game, right? With all the rule changes,
0: um, you can't get complacent. That's for sure. You're going to need more options and when i mean options i mean if you're going to go do that you're going to have to have more pitchers that are available available to you so players are all and i don't know where what the mlbpa is going to think of this but you're going to have to have guys have more options before they're released or a taxi so like squad have
1: situation like to, yeah you're going to have to, be able
0: squad. to bring guys back and forth more because you go through an all staff game and you're in a four-man rotation what are you going to do the game after that when, right. when your starter? Let's just say, unfortunately, your starter um, pulls a hamstring. Yeah, you know, c- covering a grounder and and it's happened, right?
2: Well, we've all, we've out. already seen teams get in binds mm-hmm. with five man rotations and mm-hmm. the same thing because you know how they're using how they're using um, their whole staff 100%. and they do get in jams.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and you know it's not anything for you know, a GM to get with the manager and a pitching coach and to say, Hey, here's what we got. You know, we're, we're a guy short, you know, we had to use him. He's not, he's not feeling so great. He's, he's not going on the DL, but um, that's okay. This kid's got options. It's, you know, let's, let's get so-and-so on a flight and we're here, you know, we got two guys here in the taxi squad. We'll just activate them. We'll put so-and-so on the DL and boom, you, but you're going to have to do that a lot more. You will.
1: Yeah. I, I hope it doesn't happen because I, I, just think that we're asking already too much of pitching. So I agree. We have another question here from, from Dave White. Uh this is I promised I wasn't going to hammer you with pirates questions, but I'm sure you paid attention to this. You are a fan. What do you think
0: of Paul Skeen's? Oh, I love Paul. Um, so right after he was drafted, I mean, obviously watched him play in the College World Series and you know, really a man amongst boys. <laughs> and that's saying something because the guys he was playing with were boys. Those those guys had you know, in the college world series, I mean, those guys can play all of them right. can play as, as we saw the the defense, how amazing that was the hitting and oh my God. I mean, it was, it was really fun to watch. It's probably one of the most enjoyable college world series I've watched in years.
1: I mean, I had reason to watch it this year. I'm not going to say that I watch it every year, but I had reason to watch it this year, two sure. of them in particular. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty good series. So,
0: so you know, um, obviously, still friends with quite a few guys in the system, and you know, I say, hey, what's your, what's your impression of Paul? And uh like, he's a big dude. Like, I mean, they're like, you know, what I'm saying, this guys. He's thick, man. He's he's a big dude. And he's as nice as can be, as congenial. But he was a he was a very easy fit in that clubhouse right out of the gate because he's had exposure to so much, you know, uh, with being a, a, the 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 team. <laughs> playing the college yeah. world series. I was like, Oh, making your pro debut. I mean, I'm sure he was nervous. Don't be wrong. I'm not, I'm certainly not speaking for him, but, um, you know, he was a very easy fit. My curiosity was based on what I was watching was how he would, how he would do as he leveled up and, um, love him. He's, he's going to be a contributor the big leagues. He does not have big league command right now. Right. Uh, people need to get off of the, well, he'll be in the rotation next year and he'll win 20 games. It's not that easy. yeah uh, it's it's not that easy. Just think about being a quarterback in football. Oh, let's draft this guy, and we'll put him in, we'll win the Super Bowl next year. They put up stats last night. I think for the first seven games, we were talking about Joe Burrow. He's one and five, and again, nine touchdowns, five interceptions. Not good, right? So take it easy on Paul. Let him learn to become a pro. He, he you would have, you know, he was in. He was the best college pitcher, right? right? That's Great. Goes to you know what Bradenton, I think, with two starts something like that, or two outings, look look pretty good. And then double-A guys don't swing at everything. They don't, yep. they don't have to swing at a fastball up or a little bit out or a little bit here. I mean, those those guys are essentially big leaguers too, um, maybe working on one aspect of their game, not three or four aspects of their game. So they, they learned to take pitches, and then he had to go to his go-to pitch, which was the slider to start getting guys out.
2: Did, did you see what, what you saw of him? And I know you're not, you know, standing there watching him. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're seeing it just as everyone mm-hmm. else has to uh, through a lens. Do you see the hype matching the ability? Yeah, um, sure, I do. It, 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 does that still jump out at you
0: as something completely legitimate? Real, the realization is, is he was picked where he's picked for a reason. And he, those are measurables. The ball explodes out of his hand, his confidence. I mean, his swagger on the mound, his slider is, is, you know, top shelf. I mean, you know, I don't know what all the grade scales were on his pitches. I'm sure I could find out or ask, but they were probably pretty high. I mean, major league average, right. with an 80 scale is 50. And i bet a lot of his stuff's not a 50. So, except right. his command. So, yeah, once the command piece comes along um, and he's able to take a breath from last year, Right? right? All that hoopla and then throwing him into more hoopla. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a person. <sighs> okay. I got drafted. You know, all right. There's a lot of expectations, but here's what I know how to do. And, and, and I know who he trains with, uh, very good friends. And uh, I know that they're helping him mentally adjust to becoming a pro. And I, I know the pirates are going to do the right thing with him. They're not going to ruin him. They can't afford to. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's your guy. That, yeah. uh, that's going to be your dude. So, you know, let him develop, let him be able to get all those pitches over where he wants to be able to put them, take some time to do that, um, and then make your debut and, and go through that surprise and need to take a breath step again. And, and that's kind of really what it's about. And and as I've heard many, 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 many guys, and we've had so many guys that we work with make their MLB MLB debut, whether it's a strikeout, a ground ball, pop up, or whatever, getting that first out, going, I belong here. I can do this.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah We that, talked about that recently, Gary. It's really right.
0: important. That guys have to be
2: able to say that at, at some point. You mm-hmm. know, they have to. They have to allow that to happen and accept it. And then once you do, it seems like things usually take off from there, or y- y- you you find you belong. Yeah.
0: So
2: is, <laughs> is, yeah. is special
1: born or is special taught? I mean, Both. can a guy come in looking like he can throw maybe 73 and you can work him into a 95 over time? Or do you yeah. kind of look like you have the frame or you don't?
0: Both. Um, I had kid walk through the door last year. It was 82, 84, and but he was country strong, as I would say. You nice, know, thick kid that didn't lift a lot of weights, but he could probably outlift the entire place, right? We know yeah. what guys like that look like. Got him more mobile, put him on a throwing program, taught him what to do, had never been coached, lives in a rural area, drives an hour and 15 minutes to get here. Um, by the time we were done winning, we was throwing 94 miles an hour, and that was only the case of... Four and a half months.
2: Wow. So
0: can it be done? Absolutely can be done. Can be done over and over, and over again. When you kind of have a formula and really know what you're looking for, you can do it over and over again. Um, but again, you have to do it the right way. You can't do it too quickly because his ligaments have to, and his tendons and all the rest of his structures have to be able to build up resistance and recover. Um, but. Yeah, we did it safely. And, and, and
1: uh, he's got to be moldable clay, too. He's got to listen.
0: Very right? coachable. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you're not coachable, then there's there's nothing we can do with that. I mean, I, I can teach you everything under the sun, but if you're if your response to everything I tell you is, I know, I know, I know. Well, you don't know. That's why I'm talking. And I know you don't know what I know. So, yeah, <laughs> well, we try to get away from that as quickly as possible. <laughs>
1: do you want to dispel a conspiracy theory or confirm yeah. it? Okay. So, there are rumblings out there, some from ex players, some from, you know, so-called experts that analyze video mm-hmm. that teaching somebody to throw a two seam can ruin their, their four seam. It robs velocity from everything else by teaching the motion it takes to throw the two seam.
0: Well, I would disagree with that. And the reason I would disagree with that is, um, I, I'll give you an example. We have a, a player in house who was drafted by the Blue Jays in sixth round the previous year, um, regularly through 99 to 103 miles an hour. Uh, that's two seam. Uh, his four seams, 94 miles an hour. So it comes down again to slot and arm action. He holds on to the ball better through the zone where you actually want to be able to put your, finger pressure and get through the baseball and apply the proper spin, useful spin through the ball, better with a two seam. Now, if you got a guy that had that real overhand slot that we were talking about that throws right. a really, really, really hard 99-mile-an-hour fastball four seam – that's, that's not a two-seam guy. You don't throw your two-seam from up here. Right. You throw your two-seam from – you have to get through. I can't I – I'm throw, you have to be able to get – I can I get on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> you need to throw – you need to be able to get your two-seam. You need to be able to get through it a, a little bit in a little bit different fashion than you do a four-seam. So. But
1: there are a lot of guys that are throwing both. And, like, right. Mitch Keller is a guy who's throwing both. Sure. And Absolutely. I feel like the two-seamer has helped him – You know, I guess it's a little more forgiving when he throws it. It's got more movement than his four seam, so he doesn't have to be as precise with it. But I feel like when he starts trying to throw both of them at the same time, like and work them both into his mix at the same time, one does start taking away from the other. Like I do feel like he struggles to place his four seam when he's using his two seam.
0: One thing that we always talk to our pitchers about is is the pitch doing what you want it to. And so often it's no. And that comes from here. You know, what am I trying to do? W- what is my goal? And honestly, the other thing is how much do you practice it? I mean, when you have, there is such a thing as having too many pitches. Mm-hmm. I hate when kids come in and go, I got a four seam, two seam, cutter, change, slider, curve. No, no, you don't. Right. But, <laughs> so what, what pitches do you get over the plate? Oh, my fastball. Okay, let's start there. Forcing festival, you know, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of forcing, don't get me wrong, but you can't pigeonhole guys into, well, this is going to do this and this is going to do that. Um, and sequencing is a big problem, man. God, as for as much information that's out there, sequencing is just uh, a, a big like you sit there and you go, What? I'll give you an example, yeah. T-
2: tell people what you mean with it, why it's a problem with the sequence, what sequencing is, and why it's a problem, yeah.
0: So because of tunneling, okay, where pitches all come out of the same tunnel and then spread at a certain point. Um, pitching Ninja does a great job of showing, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. here's two pitches coming and then they go like that. And how, how hard that is to hit. And you you have to – hitters then pitch eliminate. They know what you can throw for strikes and what can't. So they just try to sit on something that you know. And like Skinseko said, 76% of the time, right. here. So I'll I'll work the count to three and one or or even 2 and foul some stuff on until I get to where I'm going to take my best swing against this seventy percent seventy six percent chance here. Um, now conversely, I'll give an example. Several years ago, um, in high A when Bradenton was high A, we had a number of guys in there that were not they were getting their butt kicked. I mean, you know, Max Kranick, sorry, yes, Cranick and a few other guys up there were just great stuff. And we had just had to go back and look at the sequencing. What was following what? Why Why is he even throwing this? Like, you know, trying to pitch baby backwards too often, um, getting to O2 but unable to close the deal there. And you face a team. So the Cardinals organization, for example, does a tremendous job of teaching pitch elimination. So if they know that you only throw your curveball for strike 20% of the time, and each time they see a bump, they take it. They'll take that chance. No, not, not going to be a strike. Nope, not going to be a strike. They know that your changeup is always down and you always sell it a certain way and you throw it only when you throw it after a fastball in this count. They pitch eliminate that and then they just sit in a zone and wait for you to come to them. And the next thing you know, you're down six to nothing. And I've saw that. I watched it happen. Um, and, and you're thinking, oh my God, you're oh my God. How, how can somebody be hitting 260, but they're hitting that, that ball that hard off us because we became predictable?
1: See, now I hate Colton Wong even more.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> become predictable in our catch calling. And that's one of the things, like this past year, I really worked in advanced scouting um, more so than I set up in an entire department and had to teach seven other guys how to do this. So that predictability is is such a big thing. And then if you get in, like you're saying, you can't, if you don't have another pitch that you can execute when you're behind it's over. They, they, you know These guys are professional hitters for a reason, especially yeah. when you get to the big leagues, man. These guys know how to hit what they're looking for. You know, go, Oh, that guy's a 240 hitter. Well, he was a 330 hitter before he got here. That's how good you have to be. Remember that. He didn't get up here hitting 240. So, <laughs> in some cases, unless the power numbers are through the roof, you have to be able to know how to hedge your bets and hit, just like a pitcher has to be able to be able to, be able to throw more than one pitch for a strike in a certain count, because of that, you're sequencing, you've got to be able to uh, know how your pitches play together. And that's why the technology, that's, that's a big place where technology comes. So, you know, where they separate, you know, how to throw them, and knowing what the hitter in advance, team, okay, I have all these pitches, but I got to make sure I don't throw him here. Or, or here. He hits everything over here. So if I make a mistake anywhere in this range, anywhere in this box, it's going to get hit hard, hit hard. It's ISOs through the roof. But if I can work him here and here and here, we're all where the blue spots are. We as we contact, then we need to do whatever we can to fill up the zone there. And if you're watching the Diamondbacks, that's all they did. They pounded, they pounded, pounded, pounded the Rangers in spots. Where they couldn't hit and they had weak contact, but a lot of their they missed a lot over the plate. They missed a lot of pitches over the plate, and they got hammered. And yeah, every it, time you miss, it, they go out of the it's
2: ballpark. A, it's a dangerous game to play, but you know, I, I
0: think you have to you have to play it, and you have to hope oh, to execute yeah. it too. Yeah, it's a little bit like playing craps sometimes, especially if you don't have a real good pitch mix or if your command's not great. It becomes well, I got to go back to the fastball, mono, mono. Well. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's it's not just that easy because the hitters are catching up and you, you've got to really. That's why I talk about change up so much because we always talk about changing hitters' eye levels and changing speeds. Um, so because it adjusts the timing, if you can get them out off balance, either behind or in front, and you're changing eye levels, you've got a chance. You, you right. literally have a, a chance to compete as a pitcher against a professional hitter. Um, and- Eric, this just popped into my head because
2: yeah. we we you know we sit we, we watch all the games, we we always get comments from a hitter's perspective. You know, he sits there and takes one right down the pipe on three two, and someone's like, "How can how can that happen? How can they do that? Is it just a matter of fact that this is the the game that's being played and they are just totally expecting something else and 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 you yeah. got them." you you've changed the sequence on them somehow is that what's going on right there a lot of times
0: a lot of times yeah not always um you know guys are still human beings and the moment can get too big for them i it drives me nuts when i see runners on second and third nobody out and they take a fastball down the middle i always yell out not ready to hit because he wasn't ready to hit. (laughs) right thinking before he was hitting and it drives me crazy so right as a as a coach, like when that happened, I'm like, God, you give a kid, and then and then he swings the two sliders, right? Strike three, right? Right, yeah. He Come makes on. it. He makes it way worse on himself but, after that. But it's not it's not just that easy. But yeah, some of that is. Damn. Usually, if runner is on, this guy starts off with a breaking ball, and he was looking for it, and he couldn't adjust to a fastball or or whatever the case may be. There's so much cat and mouse in a chess game going on. Um, so some of it's that. Some of it's the human element of not being ready to hit. You're still thinking when you should be hitting. Um and sometimes, you know, you talked about guys not being able to see it. starters not going through a third time. There's a lot of relievers that come in and are really damn good. And you're you just need to yeah. figure out if you got your timing. Yeah. Am I seeing the ball out of his hand? How is he approaching me? I'm a good enough hitter. I can take strike one. I'm gonna wait for him to do this in this zone, you know, although I middle middle should always be hit, right? But if he's pitching me this way, I know I can come back. Uh, I can be looking in this zone until I get to two strikes, and you know you kind of come up with your own game plan. Meanwhile, we're just trying to make really good quality pitches at all times. We, you know, right. we should be able to believe if we pitch in these particular zones against this guy, he hits two fifteen. We'll take that chance. Do you know? Do
2: you know sometimes about the the hitters? and some guys are comfortable getting down oh yeah to, uh, you know in the count they they don't oh, yeah. care about taking it two strikes some guys don't want to do i was talking to neil walker about this recently mm-hmm. and pretty he good here <laughs> yeah he he kind of knew what he was doing and he said it never bothered him to get down you know to get down in the count or to take it to a full count or get it, uh, you know, if he was down mm-hmm. and count one, one, two, or whatever. Mm-hmm. He said he knew he could still get, do what he wanted to do in that at bat. Sure. Do you pay attention to that with hitters as well? Yeah. Whenever, you know, that some guys don't want we, to. We run carry. hard on that.
0: O two. 2 what does he do? Okay. And then we call it O2 plus. So you get past two strikes with a foul or whatever, you know, like what, How aggressive is this kind of guy going to be in certain areas of the zone with two strikes? He fouls these off. He makes contact here. So we, you know, we got to figure out where is the worst spot that he's at with two strikes and try to attack that zone because nobody can cover all four four quadrants. I mean, you just just can't. I mean, it's there's so far and few between. You you know, usually they sign baseballs with HOF behind them when they can do that, right? (laughs) So Yeah. yeah so the the average guy as the guy we're talking about is how do I how do I really approach this guy and what is his approach with two strikes does he shorten up his swing is he a Joey Votto kind of guy that's looking just to instead of you know uh, I think for, you know, for Joey, it's make contact go the other way. Oh, does that work for us? And are we pitching? So when he does that to two strikes, do we have to change our philosophy on how to attack him? So we don't give him that pitch to just float. Yeah. You don't want to field? pitch to, to something right. he's looking to do in the first place. Right.
2: Or, you know, at, right. at, at that point in the at bat.
0: Yeah. Right. And I've, <laughs> it's so funny. People were like, God, I can't believe Mike Maddox was yelling at uh, Tommy Pham after he got picked off. I'm like, You'd you be surprised what goes on during a game. There is many, many times where somebody has beaten one of our guys on, on a plan that we came up together with doing that, laying the bat out there, hitting a floater, and not not nice things are said on this way down to first <laughs> base, you know, and and that's the cat and mouse game. And they smile and they know because they know what they did, you know, and uh, that's it's just part of the game. It, it's never personal. It doesn't really mean anything. But that's I've, what
2: makes that's what makes the game great.
0: I've made a, yeah amazing. I've made a few comments, you know, and then you know after the game, you know, we see guys in the tunnel, and you know, you laugh about it, but it's it's never personal. But um, yeah, so, it, it, your best laid plans can get can go awry just from a missed location.
1: <laughs> so here's another one. We have a new pitch called the sweeper, which is really just a slider, right? Right. I mean, but I did hear John Smoltz give it the good old college try to explain why it's different when he was doing the broadcast. I figured I'd give you an opportunity. And a part B to that question is why do some pitches like a forkball go away forever and then all of a sudden come back because somebody comes over and has success with it from Asia?
0: Sure. Uh, well, The, the sweeper, Ghost Fork, uh, it's got to have a cool
2: name, right? Yeah, like a splitting
0: a Ghost Fork, fork
2: sweet, uh, you know, the Sweeper, right. the... Anyways.
0: Well, the Sweeper is is a, essentially a more horizontal slider. So, ti- sliders are typically tight. They have a tighter window to a, to attack in, whereas a, a Sweeper is a much wider uh, a pitch. I think I think it was Bauer that really did a lot of early work at driveline doing that, designing a sweeping slider, almost horizontal, you know, movement, but with a much, much more horizontal to it. So instead of, let's say, five to seven inches of movement, which isn't very much, but it's enough to get away from a barrel and and dive away from the barrel and get a strike, uh, either weak contact or swing miss. A sweeper is, might be, you know, 12 to 15 inches, for example, um, much wider Path, almost like that frisbee, you know. We, you know, base yeah, right. sliders or frisbee. That that would be the best um, example, you know. Jeff Nelson, remember? Jeff Nelson used to throw that. That was a sweeper. That wasn't yeah. a slider. That was a Kyle Crick. Very much so. Sweepers for sure. Yep. Versus a tighter, tighter, almost cutterish slider is is different. So that that's the main difference is the metric behind the horizontal movement.
1: I mean, that doesn't help stat casts because they can't tell the difference. <laughs> no. any, right?
0: They will. They'll um, figure it out.
1: Eventually. So the forkball, though, it goes away. We're told here in America, we've been telling kids it's a dangerous pitch. The grip mm-hmm. hurts your, your wrist and your mm-hmm. puts more strain on your forearm. But somebody comes over here from Asia and he's throwing it and he's being successful with it. And it's got a cool name and kids like to do things they see. How many have already come in and asked you to teach it to?
0: Uh, Just a few. Um, And again, once you spread your fingers like that, you can feel the tension in your wrist and you can also feel it right here. So those are the two key areas that we don't want hurt. Um, I'm not saying don't throw it. I remember when Roger Craig really brought that to prominence with the Giants and then everybody on the Giants threw it. And then all of a sudden every other team was trying to throw it. But for, for a while there, you know, uh, Mike Scott was one of his guys, I think, too. And he, he destroyed with, with Houston for that for a couple of years. Remember, right? they were checking balls like every other pitch because it was so nasty. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of the splitter that, uh, Roger Clemens threw off of a fastball. Talk about that plane. He threw a really good fastball down in the zone and then the splitter went just like this underneath it. So you thought you were getting a fastball yeah, until about 54 feet and then all of a sudden it I wasn't was, there.
2: I was just going to say what I remember about Clemens when he threw that is it was it was so the break was so late, but so sharp Mm -hmm. that it made it so tough on
0: a hitter. You were lucky to foul it off in the box. Lucky to do that. Yep. I'm a big fan of whatever works (laughs) to get guys out. You know what I mean? But also, you also have to have the right slot to throw that. Um, It can't just be, um, you know, it's good. There's a, yeah, you just have to kind of investigate what works for you. Honestly, you right. have to know where your slot is. Can I throw this? I mean, if your slot is again, I I don't know how I can. Uh, where's my arm? Uh, there we go. <laughs> I can't. I don't know why I can't do that. No, you got it. You got it. We got, got it. a slot that's that's way over here. Okay, and not up here. It's going to be really hard for you to throw a really good downward splitter uh, fork ball. Now. Having said that, I throw, I threw a split from uh like three quarters and I was able to get my hand cocked in a certain way, you know, instead of being just over the top, I was able to get my hand cocked a certain way to get my uh, middle finger wrapped around it to where it almost became like it would knuckle almost. <laughs> uh, that thing was awesome. So um that was pretty cool back in the day. But, you know, I caught more than I pitched at that time, so.
2: So the takeaway here is slot matters and it slot. matters a hell of a lot.
0: Slot slot, slot is huge in, in yeah. pitching. And, and that's <laughs> I, I think that's where a lot of people that don't really know a lot about stuff about this. So well they teach the guy this pitch. Why do they don't do that? Why don't they do this? Well, because first of all it's not that easy. And second of all, it's it all has to come down to you know what what slot he has and, and how that works best for his delivery. Eric, yeah. this has
1: been unbelievable. I'm going to upset Jim oh, and, and end the show here, but I got to say, thank you so much, man. This was great. I, I really hope that we do this again. And sure, you guys, teach other things besides pitching.
0: There, you know, there's <laughs> catching theory, and we teach- do. We got catchers. We we do a little bit of hitting, and you know, hitting hitters just aren't my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> we got great hitting instructors, though. I love those guys. We got some pro guys that come in and teach, and they do a great job. But you know, our uh, uh, Derek Johnson always says, you know, be great at what you're good at. And we found out we were good at and we've been we've become great at it. And we just love being a piece in these guys puzzle. We don't take a lot of credit for success because we don't stand on the mound. I don't go out and do it for him. Uh, right, right. But uh, but we do like being a part of their puzzle and a part of their uh, success story. And we're, we're very happy to do that.
1: I love it, man. Thank you so much. And uh, Jim, you got any parting shots here?
2: No, man. I think I think a lot of the times when you run into coaches, and in my experiences, the ones with less of an ego are the better ones that you're going to learn from and have more success with, and truly have your best interests at heart. And um, you know, Eric, just talking to you, it seems like that's kind of your mentality with things, and I can see why that would be a, a something that has led you to
0: some success. So well, I appreciate that. It's it's a matter of perspective, and it's not about me. It's about them. It's about the guy in yeah. front of me. So yeah.
2: man, my this big was awesome. Dude. Awesome. My
0: my big takeaway takeaway from from, I really, really appreciate it. It was great to, to catch up with you guys. I appreciate it.
1: I'd say my big takeaway from this whole thing is it's completely okay for, for players to seek help outside of the organization. It's a good thing. These aren't speakeasies. These, these are establishments <laughs> that are meant to be, to be, uh, attended and, and worked at. So, um, there's nothing wrong when you hear your player going there. Nah. It doesn't mean that's right. your, fr- your franchise is stupid. Yep. <laughs> that's, so that's right. Without anything else to say, let's let, it, let's let our buddy Ben say goodbye to everybody and Good let's stuff, go, Bucks. Good, to everybody here, I'll say it. Thanks, let's go, Bucks.
2: Let's go, Bucks.